At this time, the children may be dismissed for preschool plan worship in children's church. And I'll invite everyone else to find 1 Corinthians in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As you're finding that, I um, have been struck this week while studying for this sermon, the passage I'm going to be talking about today, really over the last several weeks as we've been looking at 1 Corinthians, of how as a pastor I have this unique opportunity to be in on the complexities of many different people's daily lives. And I can report to you that as complex and complicated as your life is, like think about your life and all the complexity of it, all the um, decisions that are before you, all the situations, all the struggles, all the interpersonal issues, all the work-related issues, um, questions of aging, of aging parents, uh, issues of uh, tragedy and losing loved ones, especially very young loved ones, um, issues of work life and responsibilities there, things in the news. Think of all the complexities of your life. I can tell you as a pastor that everybody's life is like that. Everybody's life is full of a unique blend of of issues. Some are positive things, some are negative things. They're all mixed together, and it's very complex. Um, we need wisdom. We are in desperate need of wisdom. I know that each of you is in need of wisdom. I know that I am in need of wisdom. And some of you might be thinking, well, we know that you're in need of wisdom, Matt. There's no doubt about that. What we've been talking about is uh, the wisdom of men in comparison to the wisdom of God. Last week we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So we've been talking about the fact that there is a wisdom of God that stands totally apart and distinct from the wisdom of men. It's not just a higher rung on the same ladder. It's completely different. It is transcendent wisdom of God. What is this wisdom? Well, we discovered last week and what I want to expand upon a little bit this week before we partake in communion is this wisdom is knowing the thoughts of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's not just deeper human knowledge. It's actually being connected with the thoughts of God himself through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's what we read in verses 10 through 12 last week. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So basically what 
God is teaching us through this passage is that just as you know your own thoughts better than anyone else around you can possibly know them, the Holy Spirit knows God's own thoughts better than anyone else. And as Christians, we're not just given forgiveness of our sins, but we're also given through the Holy Spirit access to the very thoughts of God. When you're given the Holy Spirit, you're given direct access to the mind of God himself, the thoughts of God. That's where this true transcendent wisdom comes from. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Wisdom is knowing God. Wisdom is knowing the thoughts of God. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. It starts there. I'm reminded of when we studied through Romans and we worked through the most difficult um, passage in Romans. It was like a theological knot that you've you ever untied a strand of Christmas lights. It was like a tight knot of Christmas lights of theology. And we were picking apart. It had all to do with uh, election and God's sovereignty over salvation and damnation and free will and how all that works. And then we got to this passage at the end of Romans 11, where Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. For from him and through him and to him are all things. It's about God, and you can't understand it until you understand that. Okay, whatever it is in your own life that you wrestle with, that you struggle with, the first step in dealing with it wisely is recognizing that it's mainly about God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. We tend to approach our problems as if it's mainly about us or it's about that problem itself. And there we've already started on the wrong foot. We've already started on a a foot of folly. To step toward our lives with wisdom is to remember that it's about God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I'm reminded of this every time I read a secular book that is trying to be helpful. And I do. I, I go to the library. Um, here's a little insight into my life for you guys who are wondering. Um, during the summer, I have the kids with me on Monday mornings, and we usually go to the library. The Mint Hill Library has a, uh, uh, one particular shelf that's all of the new nonfiction, uh, other than biographies. It's, it's uh, books of all variety of things, of studies of different things. And it's, there's some garbage books on there that nobody wants to read, but then there's some really interesting ones. And uh, I'll get those, and I'll just skim through them. I'm not like, um, I can't read all these books, but I just sort of scan through if there's anything interesting. And uh, Any of the ones that are trying to help with sociological problems or psychological problems, I always run into the same thing. They're really good at observations about the problem. So the first half of the book is always really interesting. Uh, one specific example is a book called Quiet. It's about uh, introverts in a world of extroverts. 
And it's all these scientific studies about how some people are um, more exhausted by interpersonal interactions than others. And the first half of the book was really fascinating because I'm exhausted by, by interactions with others. I'm a pastor. So how does that work? And so the first half of the book is fascinating. But then when they get to the second half, where it's time to offer some solutions or some ways forward, it falls apart every time. I can't tell you how many of these books I've scanned through that this happens. It falls apart every time because they step toward those problems. And the only thing they have for wisdom to deal with them is all their sociological research or psychological research. And all that would lead you to think that the problem is about the problem. But the problem isn't about the problem. The problem is about who? God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you can't even start to understand uh, how to move forward as an introverted pastor by looking at how to move forward as an introverted pastor. You've got to start with God. What does he think about introversion and extroversion? What does he think about energy output on behalf of others? What does he think about conversation? What does he think about um, social connections? What does he think about these things? Until you start thinking, well, what does he think? All you're thinking is, what do I think? Or what do these other humans think? And you just can't get very far. So I challenge you, go to the library and look at the, the new release nonfiction and scan through. And I promise you will find halfway through each book, the wheels fall off. Because they don't have anything to draw from for real solutions to our problems. They were just chasing our tail until we start to look at it from God's perspective. Wisdom is knowing God's thoughts and the Holy Spirit we have reveals that to us. We have a source of wisdom that's so far transcendent above the world. It's, it's mind-blowing. I'll take an example, something that you guys might have been thinking about recently. Um, the whole issue of abortion and Planned Parenthood and these videos that have been recently released um, describing in horrific detail the sale of body parts from unborn children. Um, and there's just this cacophony of, of discussion about it on social media and on, in the news. And, um, and then, you know, somebody kills a lion and it seems like they care more about that. Well, how do they care more about that than this? And everybody's arguing, everybody's quarreling, everybody's fussing and fighting. And if you have a Facebook account and you watch that video, you think, well, should I post something about it? Should I weigh in or would that be stupid? Would that just add to the noise we don't know should we as christians go and stand in front of the abortion clinic and block people from going in should we stand here at albemarle road with a sign what what do we do the way to start is to ask what does god think about these things what is what does god think about our rights as humans what does god think about our right to control our own body or not what does god think about um personhood when it begins has he said anything what does god think about um abnormal babies or babies who seem uh like they're going to be born with the disadvantage because of some physical issue what does god think about financially desperate people who are about to have a child what does god think about the christian response to these things what does god think about um public debate over policy issues of these matters what does God think about how Christians ought to inter- interrelate with the laws of the land? That's where we need to start. We don't just need to shoot from the hip and just start yelling about stuff. We've got to be wise about these things. 
there, there are scriptures to guide us. And this isn't a sermon about abortion, but I do feel the pressure that I need to get in here and be reminded, what does God say about all these things? What do we do? We don't just want to do what our flesh wants us to do. We want to do what God wants us to do. Because we, we have access to a wisdom beyond our wisdom. We have access to the thoughts of God on these things. And take a more personal example. And we live in a, in a society in which the family unit is, is all mixed up and shuffled and rearranged. And I'm not talking about uh, same-sex unions right now. I'm just talking about the phenomenon of broken families, of, you know, divorced families, step-parents, step-brothers, step-sisters, and then that even um, busting up further into other families with, with all kinds of connections, multiple father figures, multiple mother figures, um, brothers and sisters that are not biologically brothers and sisters, but through step relations, uh, many Christians are having to navigate this really complicated world of relationships within their families. And it's, it's very complex. How do you go about it? I mean, what does God think about how we use our words in these situations? What does God think about fatherhood and motherhood um, in extreme situations like these? What does God think about all this? And zooming back, what does God think about marriage, divorce, remarriage? What are his thoughts about these things? What, what are God's thoughts? That's the Christian question. In terms of wisdom, in terms of dealing with complex situations, that's the Christian question. Not first, what should we do? But first, what does God think about? Because it's revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. How do we gain access to this through the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked, because that's my last point. In verse 13, which is where I want to pick up, Paul writes, And we impart this, referring to all he's just talked about, about the Holy Spirit's um, knowledge of the thoughts of God and, and that as a free gift to us. And we impart this in words. And we impart this in words. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We impart this in words. Now, I'm struck by how concrete that is. I mean, one might think that to gain access to the wisdom of God and the thoughts of God, we need to withdraw from society and and be monks in a quiet closet somewhere. And we need to be sitting out in a field under a tree in silence for a week. And then we'll get a vision and we'll have a dream. But God mercifully is way more concrete with us. He reveals to the Holy Spirit his thoughts in words transcribed by the apostles and the prophets in the word of God, the Bible, the scripture. You know, the psalmist wrote, I have more wisdom than all my teachers because your words are my meditation. Words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. The words written by the prophets and the apostles preserved for us in the Bible. You know, Frank Hall, our regional president, opened our meeting with a devotion from Second Timothy. I'm going to read the passage to you. He was talking about how he felt when he heard the Supreme Court ruling regarding same-sex unions and the the legalities of all that and how discouraged he felt. And then the Lord led him to this passage 
And I just want to share it with you because I think it's a good example of how the Lord does speak to us in ways that will give us wisdom in dealing with real issues of the day. So I'll start earlier than he did in his. I'll start in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. He says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So there we have a little bit about God's thoughts about what we ought to be about as Christians. Not just reactive to news stories, but fleeing our own youthful passions, pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So here we have some, some of God's thoughts about how we as Christians go about dealing with contentious subjects and quarrelsome issues. We do it with uh, a level of endurance for the evil around us. We do it uh, with the spirit of kindness and love. And we don't refrain from correcting, but we do it with a, a certain gentleness because our hope isn't to crush. Our hope is that people might, by the supernatural grace of God, be granted repentance and that God might get them from the clutches of our enemy. And he goes on into chapter 3, and listen to how, how modern this all sounds. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, children. Disobedient to their parents is in this list. I just think that's amazing. We tend to think some sins aren't a big deal. Some sins are a big deal. And children might tend to think disobedience to parents is one of the not a big deal sins. Well, it's in the same list with these other things. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And then he goes on like this, and he lands on a famous passage in it's Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here we see an example of the mind of God giving us real wisdom for real life. We have access to this through the Holy Spirit, we who are Christians. You know, and your interpersonal issues that can get so confusing. 
scripture is profitable for teaching about these things. It can teach you your design in these things, your design to love, that you're designed to receive the, the, the selfless love of Jesus Christ and then transmit that on to others. It can reprove us. That means uh, point out what's wrong in us. Show us the sin that's in us. It can, in these interpersonal issues, show us our selfishness, our pride, or our, our folly, our foolish recklessness with words, or whatever it might be. It can correct us. So reproof is showing you what's wrong. Correction is making that right. It can help us to die to ourselves, to turn the other cheek, to forgive 70 times 7, to speak the truth in love. All of our personal sin issues, all of our parenting issues, life direction choices, all of these things, the wisdom we need for them is here in God's word. It's as if we're walking through this life in a big hedge maze. You know, all we can see is just this section and we're trying to figure out our way and there's different people in the maze with us who think that they know. We've got to remember that we have access to God who's up above looking at the whole thing from above. He designed it. He put us in there. He knows the way he wants us to go. We just need to never forget that. We need to be encouraged by this. Wisdom is knowing the thoughts of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit and imparted in his word. Now we're going to close our service with a time of communion. When we take communion, it's a, it's a regular reminder that Christ instilled in his church. The bread represents his body broken for us. The drink represents his blood shed for us. So that in Jesus Christ, we could be forgiven of our sins. And as we partake in these elements, I want us to receive not just that forgiveness, but all the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ, including this closeness with God, this power through the Holy Spirit to know the thoughts of God, to know the mind of God. I want to receive these elements and to be refreshed in this uh, a fresh re- receiving of Jesus Christ to go out and live as wise Christians in a confused world, to live with our Bibles open. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and that you have given us in Jesus Christ forgiveness and reconciliation with you. And then even beyond that, you've given us this supernatural ability to understand your thoughts as revealed by your spirit in your word. And I pray that you would now, as we partake of these elements, that you would now, in a fresh way, connect us to you through Jesus Christ. And let all the benefits of being your people flood into our hearts and our minds and our lives. For your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.